We are the creators of reality. Those who have mastered perseverance, those who thrive despite attempts to thwart us, those who make magic at the root of the very trees they hung us from. We are the mountains and the rivers. We are the sun and the moon. We are sand and gems. We are the first and the final. We be big and small. We be light and dark. We be seasoned and youthful. We be sensual and sacred. Those gifted and divine. Those powerful and radical. Those vibrant and ancestral. We are the creators of reality. We are the Black Oasis. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Black Oasis Podcast. I'm your host, Kaya Supreme, and today we have the most special guest of all time. He is a comedian. He is a bona fide coach in every way. He is my father, Ernest, no middle name, Crosby. Hello, 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 hello. Um, After that introduction, I don't know what to say. Where do I start? Um, Hi, Daddy. Welcome. I'm great. Um, I'm so happy to have you on the podcast. We are going to talk about um, some good, juicy topics like father-daughter relationships. So, first... Woo woo! Oh, I, I love that. I I, I think that's yes, the number one. Yes, you're my list. I am well diverse in that father daughter. Oh yeah. Well, I am uh, also the yes, mom. Love boy, you, do. So love I, you, do. I learned to love um, early. So first, Black Oasis is a safe space where yes. we come and talk about things that are going to elevate the Black community. Um, and so, if you had to describe what an oasis would look like for black people what do you think it would look like i would describe it as walking up to a picnic and seeing all your friends that that energy you get the happiest feeling that you have to saying what's up or what it be all the type of phrase that you might say to say hello you know, the excitement when they see you or, you know, uh, but for the most part, you know, being able to have financial wealth, you don't have the stress, but always okay, have that like, image like, of walking you know, up like a family reunion. to a picnic. <laughs> a family reunion. A I know family, you might not like the word picnic. A family, yeah, reunion, family reunion um, where everybody's. <laughs> Class reunion, high everybody's school, college reunion, homecoming, all of the above. All right. So that means we grew our own food. Yes. We uh, we slaughtered our own hogs. If you eat pork, I don't know. But, you know, I, I figure at your picnic, they're going to have some ribs. Okay. Oh, you got to have some ribs. <laughs> and you have to be careful because if it's good, all you might right, bite daddy. <laughs> so... What do you, like, why were you created? What's your purpose? You know, I struggled with that early on because I felt at one time 
you know, I felt like a doormat. You know, I felt like I was always helping someone else and never could get the return. You know, and I was kind of frustrated because I was like, you know, this is not, you know, it didn't feel good. And I didn't want to do that, but I enjoyed it. So I think my purpose was to be insightful, to see the goodness in people and try to point it out. Um, and, you know, whenever they ask me, sometimes they don't ask. I point it out anyway. And try to get everybody to well on the good much they do well on the next. And um, what are some deserts that you life. had to overcome and persevere through? Hard times. Um, the, the struggle of always not having, you know, uh, is always, if you go back into uh, every aspect of uh, my life, not having the, the right school, uh, not having the right tools to go to school with. Um, the teachers are good, but they uh, is underpaid. So a lot of them was working two and three jobs, and they wasn't giving me attention during the daytime because they was stressed out, sleepy, tired. Um, not having the freedom of ex- just exploring life early, you know, everything had to evolve around work. You know, no playtime. So we had, I had to. It was hard to overcome that and learn to live. And um, let your inner self explode. Played a you role know? in your life and your oasis. Well, you know, I'm, I came from a family of ten, and somehow, some way, we're not sure how it happened, but we all broke off into groups like twos, you know. And I had um, my sister Lucy; I was my queen. And she always supported me, you know, up and down. And, and wasn't afraid to tell me when I was wrong, you know. And it was all out of love. She showed love, you know. So our relationship was like 100%, you know, to a point where we can just know what each other is thinking, you know. And not saying that I didn't get the same love from our whole family, but... You know, it was like uh, she was the table and okay, the other one was just the leg. <laughs> oh, sure. Okay. They know. Um, they know. So they know. Getting into the father daughter <laughs> discussion, what has been the most challenging aspect of having daughters? I, I think um, it was a challenge. It was like you had to, as you say, play both sides of the fence. You know, you had to be a parent, then you had to you had to be a father first. You had to be a father, but then you had to dip on the other side and try to keep your emotional um, on the table also, so that you could be able to feel what they feel. You know, most times doing it like the wife. You know, they come and talk to you about something. They don't want you to fix it. They want you to listen sometimes, you know, and finding that balance, you know, finding how do I give her advice without, you know, pushing her the opposite way, you know, and also hoping that she takes my advice. So you had to give it in a way that she was just receiving and not necessarily push it to the, um, to the other end of the table. But, you know, if, if she evolved, 
should reach back and grab that advice, you know, or remember that you gave it to me. And the only way you can do that, you have to uh, cap in on the uh, I cannot side. take you feminine side. Okay, so um, that was a really good answer, Daddy. And I then you definitely do do that. I have seen you. Well, thank you. I have seen you grow in uh, our communication, and it is very rewarding, refreshing. I love you so much. I, I'm grateful um, for all the advice that you have given and that you do give. And now I have a little bit more maturity, so I, hopefully I am following and heeding your wisdom um, as you see fit. Um, what has been the most rewarding thing about having daughters? Oh my God. You know, I learned early that, you know, like, came in at five, I have four brothers and five sisters. And so, whatever reason, you know, the daughters always love dad, and the boys always love mother. So, to be able to, to hear that and say that while you're growing up is one thing. Just being a kid with your own daughters, you know, the, the love they have for you, the care, and that, you know, uh, the happiness that you see in the eyes when you're together, you know. Um, you could be silly, you know, when you want to be silly. They appreciate that. You know, just be open um, and at, at anything, you know, nothing push you away from your daughter. You know, there's nothing to stop that relationship. So as long as you know that, um, Um, everything is rewarded. We live in a society that treats men and women differently. Um, I knew growing up, you definitely gave me a lot of advice around boys. Um, how? How how was it being a young man yourself at some point and then having daughters and knowing they had to go date other young men? How 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 did you handle that and how did that make you feel? Well, you know, I had a good relationship with So I saw what they tolerated, what not tolerated. And then I saw the level of respect that they demand. And then I had brothers. And, you know, and I watched them too. So, being in York, I had an opportunity to see both sides. And I realized the pain that, that either one can cause. You know, the pain that a, a, a male can cause for a female. And the pain a female can cause for a male. So, you take that and they realize that, you know, you're in a society where either you're going to get consumed or you have to stand alone. So it's best to stand alone because you go farther when you stand alone instead of being consumed by whatever everybody else is doing. And you know what right is wrong. And so you have to trust what God gives us, gives to everybody. We call it gut or intuition or I had a feeling that's what God speaks to us. So you live on that gut or that intuition or that feeling. So when things are right, you know it, and when it's wrong, you know it. But when you allow society to say, "Oh, that may not be the case," then you rip away your your strength. Your and armor. as I mentioned, you're a coach. Why? Um, what is it about coaching that you enjoy so much? Well, 
I have the ability to see the good, you know, in people. So to walk out on the field and you see a kid that, you know, he, some kids they only want to play football because their dad wants them to play or their mom wants them to play or their uncle wants them to play. But then when they get out there, they realize they don't realize what they have to offer, you know. And so to see that light and then take that light, connect it to them, so they can realize, okay, I don't have to play football for uncle, mom, dad. You know, I can do it for myself, and I'm good at it. Or I can learn to be good at it. And not only that, it's just not, you know, like I said, for golfers, any sport, but also culture for life, you know. So you might take someone that don't have enough uh, stamina to compete with other kids because they feel like they might be too slow or they might not be fast enough or big enough. But then you create them to be strong in their own body. You know, no matter what it is, you know, you be strong in your own body. And that's going to take you farther than you start fast to somebody because they're taller, bigger, faster. You know, right. and you need to compete with life that way. Um, you also have been a member of Toastmasters International forever. Um, <laughs> what is it about public speaking that you enjoy <laughs> so much? Well, you know, the which I'm still I'm so back to the idea I'm trying to get there. That's why I work on it every day because I think it's so important. Is to be able to take a phrase, create a message, you know, so that people can walk away with something. You know. Or be able to um, tell someone by words, you know, and draw pictures so that not only do they hear you but they can feel it and they can fit and be there seeing the object or the things that you're talking about and, it, and it's fascinating when, when they come across that when people respond like wow you know, that was a great speech I've never been to Paris but I can I, I, I saw it you know I was there I enjoyed it you know the food was delicious the, the atmosphere was wonderful the music oh my god you know that's where you know you have connected with the soul through words okay so, um, you know, I talk a lot about character and, you know, principles and humility and forgiveness and wisdom, spirituality and nurturing and discipline and maturity and accountability and all that good stuff. How has character and uh, played a role in your life and, and what does that mean to you? That is so important to be, you know, someone that has got good character. Because that word says everything you just said, you know, he's spiritual, he's, you know, he's trustworthy, uh, he's dependent, um, you know, he's going to be a cheaper, you know, he's going to make it. It's all about your character. So it's like, if you imagine, you know, everybody's in the car and the character is in there too. And all of a characters jump out, you know, that changes the whole dynamic, you know. Because now, if you don't have good character, it's hard for you to be uh, trustworthy. Uh, it's hard for you to be dependable, you know. It's hard for you to be successful. Because you have to have good character to be able to do all those. And they, you know, they work together. It's like um, a piston, you know. One pump, the other one side step, the other one side step. 
if they keep that's what builds their energy and what you want to do and you know you got bad characters I don't care who it is nobody wants to be around you <laughs> look at uh, look at the president he got a lot of money yeah. but his character <laughs> is underneath the floorboard and that brings us down. What are some principles down. or convictions that you live by? Um, if you're gonna do it, when you say you're gonna do it, do it, even if it's hard, and don't quit. You know, rest as you must, but don't you quit once you start something. And always be open. And that's the part I had to learn. Always be open. To hear someone else's advice not that you might want to use it but just hear it you know and, and someone else validates something because you might be off a little bit or you know you might be dead on and they have validated that you are dead on without saying it you know because everybody has a way of putting things things so you know always listen to um people that have good character um so I know that you you and I have a lot of conversations about reparation. And why do you think it's so hard for um black people to get on the same page around reparations? So reparations, I think people feel like um we don't deserve it, you know. And because of uh, you know, and coming up in high school <laughs> A lot of things get dropped off on us, but that wasn't dropped off. You know, they didn't teach anything about slavery and reparation. So a lot of people understand that white wealth came directly from slavery. And that's the reason why you can see uh, some of the, the people in the South that's what they call uneducated white, but they're rich because they inherited the money that their father made of selling slaves, working slaves, um, slave trading, you know, um, and they benefited from it. So when we was free, we had nothing. When, when we was free, they got reparation, $300 per slave. So they always got the money. And so we've been trying to catch up, but we could have made that wealth, we could have closed that gap if we had started fighting for reparation as a whole okay and what uh, what wish do you have for black people I wish we learn our history love our history you know and don't be afraid to talk about your history you know be proud you know what we you know if you go to a party or you go to a cookout you know people go on and you say hey how you doing they're gonna talk about their job what they're doing and how they accomplish you know I got a two degrees you know and then, you know, like I know from people that came up picking kites, you know, sharecropping, farming, you know, even in my own family. But once they got to the city and started getting a government job, they want to cut that loose. They want to disconnect from that, you know. Like I had a, a cousin to tell me, oh, you a country cousin. No, I'm a cousin. There is no difference between a country cousin and a city cousin. But as black people, we always want to one-up each other. You know, I live in this community. You live in that community. You got short hair. I got long hair. I got blue eyes and green eyes, you know. So 
I wish that black people would just accept who they are and love who they are. So just tell us a little bit of background um, about where you grew up and what life was like growing up in the South and then transitioning to the North. Um, I think early on, I said my whole life was about work. Okay, I was born in Selma, Alabama, and we were sharecroppers. And hopefully everybody knows what sharecroppers are. Um, so we were sharecroppers. So, as you, as I was younger, then my responsibility was for water, for food, make sure you know, my older siblings, and my mom and dad, they was picking cotton, cutting corn, or picking butter beans. Um, that I would go and get fresh water for them. You know, and go back and get more fresh water, or bring them, bring them. If they was picking cotton, say the stack got full. I brought them another sack and I would drag that one back to the loading dock or to the area, the station area, where we are gonna load the kite on the truck or weigh it. So that as I got older, um, I stopped picking kite too, you know? And then my sisters, that was their job to make sure, you know, we got water and stuff like that. So, but we knew the importance of going to school too. So we didn't waste the moment, you know, in it, we didn't waste time. So when we had the opportunity to go to school, we went to school to learn, you know. And of course, because during, um, you know, after school, we may have to go to work in the field. And sometimes you go to work before school because we had cows, had goats, had chickens. So there was always around work. So I knew how to work. And matter of fact, my whole family, we are workers, you know. But we didn't know how to do business. And that's what was um, um, the shortcoming in my family. Because we all was workers. You know, because we look at all my brothers, you know, they're the top notch on uh, mechanic. One of them is, uh, you know, Houston police officer. Uh, but two of them, was, three of them was mechanic. And my sisters, you know, um, one had a home salon. I've been working in uh, an industrial, and then one worked at the airport. You know? But so we was workers, and we was all over the place. But if we had an opportunity to come together and use our skills, I think we could have, you know, ran a good business. Yes, you've always been an entrepreneur. Oh, so that's your mindset. Yeah. So, like, well, it's funny because my father gave us three goats, and my brothers and myself and at Thanksgiving you sell your goat and if your goat get pregnant and have more goats then that's more goats you can sell but I also make sure my goats ate good you know they was fat and when people come out looking they would buy my goats but they wouldn't buy my my other brother's goats so I would end up taking his goats and fat them up and sell so that started me on my entrepreneurship you know um, my slogan is OPM other people money always work <laughs> so you're a comedian tell us about reverend penicillin <laughs> oh well that name was born out of um you know sometimes well you know when a guy let's say just have to be at the right spot at the right time so we was on campus 
and he had a band called Stratus. Uh, and, um, this young lady was a singer in this band. She was beautiful. So she came off the stage and she was walking, you know, down the um, the corridor. And we was hosting that concert that night, my fraternity. And she said, "Oh my God, I got a headache." And I said, "Baby, you're in the right place." Cause I'm repping Tennessee. And that's what started the name. <laughs> so I just built on it from there because I put it on my shirt, Reverend Pillar and people thought it was just crazy. Uh, and, you know, a lot of people thought, you know, well, you must have BD if you got penicillin, you know, and whatever. But I allow people to use their own imagination to come up with anything they want to think about, you know. But that's how it started. That's where the name came from, and I just kept building on it. So when I got into comedian, got into uh, when I started doing um, jokes, I stayed with the name because it was always memorable and catchy. So I created these characters, you know, based on the the uh, my pastor growing up, Reverend Lowdown, Reverend Kick Alone, and Reverend Get Low. <laughs> Can you tell us about them? Who's Reverend Lowdown? <laughs> Well, Reverend Lowdown was, uh, you know, he's just like a lot of ministers. You know, you're always looking at the fine women in the church. And he making sure that the fine women sit on the front row. And so I always thought about Reverend I called him Reverend Lowdown, you know. Because when he, when he goes back, when he preaches, he, he always got to bend over, you know. And back in the day, you know, a lot of the ladies started wearing a shorter dress at the church. So he would make sure he get his eyes full, you know. And uh, Reverend Kickalong, he always pushing that basket. So, I want you to tithe. I want you to give, give, say it hurts. I want you to give and give, so you don't have to give no more. And uh, Reverend Gitlow, you know, he all the ones that comes there kind of tanked up. You can get close enough to smell the liquor on his breath. You know, so he would, I would create a character where he had some liquor, you know, underneath the uh, the podium. And he goes, uh, I'm going down to get some air. And he'll go down, he'll take a drink. And he, so finally one of the bigger moves is the bottle. And he said, I'm going down to get some air. And we, when he went down, the bottle was gone. And he, he looked at the choir and said, Stop singing that song. Stop praying that prayer. Somebody stole my hair. <laughs> Daddy, why are you like this? I can't. Who, like what? Who are you? <laughs> I am a child of God. <laughs> definitely, definitely <laughs> touched and blessed. Um, well, Dad, I want to thank you so much for coming on this podcast you are the greatest dad ever you are so loving and compassionate and nurturing you always pressing to be your best self to be the best father that you can be you love spending time with us you love talking to us oh i don't want to get emotional i'm just so lucky so lucky so lucky so lucky to have you i mean i could i couldn't be a father without you I know and, uh, I am the firstborn. And Blair. <laughs> no, no. You know. No, me, me, me. I'm first. <laughs> no. And and I have a good friend named David who um, 
really truly, you know, was my best friend that uh, that came in and you know I, the things we did that night. You was born. I know we'd go to jail if I do it now. You know, and you that, that show you how you can't say the thing we did and not say what it is. <laughs> well, the night you was born, you know, um, we snuck in and we hid under the table until all the nurses turned the lights out. And we stayed with you all night in the in the um, in the nursery, and we took turns taking you out to bed and holding you, and got caught the next morning, you know. And that's when the nurse one threw us out. Yeah, you'd be in so. jail. <laughs> but that's the kind of things that David and I just did. You know, we didn't see we didn't see the negative. We saw all positive. And that was positive, and you were just a happy baby. You didn't cry. You didn't, you know, like you knew it was there. You know, you know. So it was awesome. Wow, I'm again very blessed to have you as my dad. Um, and not only have you been my dad, you've been a dad to so many of my friends. Um, so many people love you. So many people love just. And I, I love them. I've never seen people just sit and listen to you talk for hours, hours. Um, so hopefully everybody that's listening to this podcast got just a little piece of how wonderful and magnificent and dedicated and disciplined and wise and hilarious you are. Um, I love you so much, Daddy. And I love you, and thank you for having me. And I hope you um, continue to do well and be successful. You know, the sky's the limit. Yes, sir. Well, thank you, everybody, for listening to Black Oasis. You can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Black Oasis ATL and our website, www.blackoasis.org. And thank you so much for listening. And until next time, stay black, but you don't really have a choice. Bye-bye.